Welcome to the podcast of Vertical Life Church. We hope and pray these messages encourage and challenge you to find your glorious purpose in Christ Jesus. For more information, visit us on the web at www.vlchurch.tv. You awake now? Amen. Well... As uh, Scott said, I'm Pastor Joey. I see some uh, new faces today. We want to say welcome. We believe everyone matters to God, and so you matter to us. And we hope that you feel that, sense that, and uh, walk away just encouraged today as, uh, as we've been praying for you that God would not just bring you here, but that he would do a special work in your life today. And uh, again, we have this three-week challenge. We challenge every new person, every guest in the house to spend the next three weeks in a row with us because we know how difficult it is to find a new church family, a new home in one week. You know, often uh, first impressions um, aren't enough to help you feel at home. And so uh, we hope that you have a blessed time today, but that you come back and see what God would do in your life. And uh, if at the end of that, that three weeks you feel like maybe God's calling you to uh, stop dating the church, but come, uh, you know, go all in and, and go steady with us, then uh, we, we say welcome home, and, uh, and we welcome you in advance. Amen. So exciting. Uh, just God is, is moving. And I don't know, do you guys feel down today? Do you, you like, feel like this, this depression in the room? Like, normally, like, we've got people dancing in the aisles, and there's, like, some hooping and hollering and, and stuff, but I just feel like there's kind of, like, this, this heaviness in the room. So let, let's do something just to shake this stuff off. Let's spank the devil for a minute. Why don't you stand up, give the person next to you a high five, and tell them that you're so thankful to be in God's house today. And let's get ready for the Word of God. Because God has something special for us today. Amen? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and your grace. We thank you, God, for your presence. We thank you, God, that you are worth waking up for. God, you are worth living for. And you are worth dying for. And so, God, we just say we love you and we praise you. We ask you to give us ears to hear, eyes to see, a mind that understands, and a heart ready to believe and receive everything you have for us today. And may Jesus be glorified as we give you praise. And all God's people said... Amen. You can be seated. Awesome. So today we are still in our study in the book of Revelation. We're in week 16, but uh, this will be the last week of our study for uh, the rest of the year. We're going to do some different things for the holidays, some fun stuff. So I want to give you like a precursor of what we're going to begin next week. We're going to start a new holiday uh, series called Family Matters. And uh, so it's going to be exciting. Uh, I, I'm, I'm kind of pumped for this because I don't, I don't know if you understand, but I preach to myself more than I do to you all on Sunday mornings. And, and so this is really to help me be better, you know, so, but, but hopefully you glean something from it. But uh, I'm going to give you a couple snapshots of what we're going to be talking about to kind of maybe uh, twist your arm to come back. So uh, for the next couple weeks, we're, we're going to look at calendar chaos, I don't know if you feel overwhelmed during holiday season, but it seems like it gets busier and busier the closer it gets to the holidays and in, in the holiday season. And so what do we do with that? How do, we, how do we honor God and how do we have margin in our lives during the, the holiday season? And then there's that one relative. 
You know what I'm talking about? When you get together for the holidays, there's that one relative that you, you just don't look forward to interacting with. You know, there are people that get under your skin, and when you're related to them, it's even worse, right? So what do you do? How, how do you have peace in those family gatherings when you've got that one relationship that just knows how to push your buttons? And then uh, what about the pressure to be generous? Like, do I got to give again? Like, again, like, how many giving opportunities does the church have? Does, you know, the Salvation Army wants all your change every time you go to Walmart? Uh, like, well, like, what do we do? Like, how do we honor God in our giving? What about the, the doing good? We all want to do good, but what about doing real good? What's the difference between doing good and doing real good? And then lastly, the, the title of the series is that family does matter. And we're going to talk about the family that truly, truly matters. And so this is going to be our, our holiday season. It'll take us uh, uh, through November and into December a little bit, and then we'll do some stuff for Christmas. But I just want to encourage you to come, invite your friends and family to spend the holiday season with us, and I know it's going to be a blessing to you as we dive into God's Word and receive some encouragement. All right, Revelation chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. You can navigate on the YouVersion Bible app to Revelation 6 or our live events page, which will have all the notes there for you. But we're getting ready to dive in to one of the, I think, the most popular parts of the book of Revelation. We've been in chapters 4 and 5, seeing how as John finishes his letters to the seven churches, God now calls him up into the spirit into heaven, and he begins to see a vision of things to come. And it begins with this opening scene that John is seeing God on his throne. He's called the court into session. He's getting ready to bring judgment. And then this figure, the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world, appears, the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, and he receives the title deed to the kingdom of God. As he's now coronated as King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and all of heaven breaks out in worship and praise. So that's where we've been, and, and the last few weeks have been really special as we've just joined with the heavenly hosts, praising our God and King. And now we begin to see the, the scene begin to change as Jesus has the book of life in hand, this title deed to the kingdom of God, but it has seven seals on it. And every time he opens a seal, something crazy happens. And the first four seals kind of unpack what are called the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And there have been many movies and, and, and uh, entertaining uh, memes about the horsemen of the apocalypse. So we're going to read the scripture and see what God has to say for us here. In Revelation chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, this is John seeing in this vision in heaven. Here's what he says. He says, Now I watched when the Lamb, that's Jesus, opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures, the angelic host, say with a loud voice, in like thunder, come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. Verse 3, when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come. And out came another horse, bright red, and its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another, and was given a great sword. Verse 5, when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come, and I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice out of the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm 
the oil and wine. Verse 7, when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come, and I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. So these are the four horsemen of the apocalypse. I think I have a picture up here on the screen for you to get kind of in your mind what John might have been seeing in this vision. Um, and so here we have four riders on four different colored horses. Now, many scholars have debated on what these actually represent. As we know in prophetic literature, and as we know in these visions, sometimes what John is seeing is a literal representation of something. Other times, it's a metaphor. It, it, it represents something else. There's a deeper meaning to it. And so scholars have tried to figure out what do these horsemen represent. And some believe the white horse, most notably, refers to the Antichrist, or the, the, uh, the one that the, the devil himself will indwell in the last days, who will assume power over the entire planet, bring the world into a one-world government, a one-world religion, and a one-world power. And, and so they believe that this one represents the Antichrist. Um, that's one interpretation, very well could be likely and true. Other interpretations of the white horse, or the rider on the white horse, refer to spiritual beings, or spiritual realities, or deities, like uh, the gods of the ancient world. Uh, in Psalm 91, the psalmist writes that those who trust in the Lord need not to fear the arrow that flies by day. And the rider on the white horse was given a bow as part of his authority or power to conquer and to go forth in conquering. In Psalm 91, after he talks about not fearing the arrow that flies by day, he then lists the Canaanite deities at Deber and uh, uh, Keteb, which are the gods of pestilence and destruction, which we see throughout the, uh, the riders of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. So it's a, another possibility. Satan is also called the god of destruction, who we know in Ephesians 6 shoots fiery darts against the people of God. Uh, we've also seen in the study that Apollo or Apollyon, the Greek god, he's the sun god, he is also known of using a bow as part of his arsenal. So there could be some connection there. But what is likely the case, as with many difficult passages of the Bible, as you look at anything that's strange or weird, we have to remember that the Bible interprets the Bible. God's word tells us what God's word means. So there are a lot of great ideas out there. There are a lot of great, uh, you know, conceptions of what these things might mean. But we got to look at the scripture to find out what John's frame of mind is. And John wasn't writing you know, with just ideas floating in his mind, he was writing with the Word of God in his mind. He was a student of the Old Testament. And so these are images and pictures that, that God had previously communicated to the prophets of the past that is now being revealed to John in the present. And so if we want to understand what the horses or the riders of the horsemen are, we need to look back at the book of Zechariah because Zechariah also has a vision of horses and riders. As Zechariah, the prophet, has a heavenly vision, he sees some interesting characters. If you're not a student of the Old Testament, you don't love the Old Testament, you are missing out. There is some great stuff in the Old Testament. They're, you know, better than any sci-fi movie that you could ever watch. There's some cool things in the Old Testament. But here in Zechariah chapter 1, beginning in verse 7, it's, 
begins the vision that, of the writers that Zechariah sees. He says, on the 24th day of the 11th month, which is the month of Shabbat, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah, son of Edo, saying, I saw in the night, and behold, a man riding on a red horse. And he was standing among the myrtle trees in the glen, and behind him were red, sorrel, and white horses. Then I said, What are these, my Lord? And the angel who talked with me said to me, I will show you what they are. So the man who was standing among the myrtle trees answered, These are they whom the Lord has sent to patrol the earth. And they answered the angel of the Lord who was standing among the myrtle trees, and they said, We have patrolled the earth, and behold, all the earth remains at rest. And so here we have this vision from Zechariah, these multicolored horses, riders on the horses, who are sent out to patrol the earth and report back to God what's happening in the earth. In Zechariah chapter 6, the vision continues. In verse 1, it says, And again I lifted my eyes, and I saw, and behold, four chariots came out from between two mountains, and the mountains were mountains of bronze. Many times in ancient literature, the spiritual beings are referred to burning mountains. So these mountains of bronze aren't literally metallic mountains. They are symbolic for spiritual beings. Verse 2, it says, The first chariot had red horses. The second had black horses. The third had white horses. Are you seeing some similarity? And then the fourth chariot had dappled horses, all of them strong. And then I answered and said to the angel who talked with me, What are these, my lord? And the angel answered and said to me, These are going out to the four winds of heaven. After presenting themselves before the Lord of all the earth, the chariot with the black horses goes toward the north country. The white ones go after them. And the dappled ones go toward the south country. And when the strong horses come out, they were impatient to go and patrol the earth. And, said, and he said, Go patrol the earth. And they patrolled the earth. And then he cried to me, Behold, those who go toward the north country have set my spirit at rest in the north country. So we have these spiritual beings, these riders on these horses that are subservient to the angel of the Lord. And we know the angel of the Lord is Jesus Christ. We've seen that through our study. That before he was born to the Virgin Mary, Christmas Day, one of our favorite holidays of, of the year, he was known in times past as the angel of the presence or the angel of the Lord. And these riders on the horses are subject to him. They serve him. They go out and patrol and come back and report and here he says that they have set his spirit at rest in the northern country. What's interesting here is these riders on the horses aren't just riding horses, but they also have chariots. Chariots are vehicles of warfare. And so as we are seeing these riders on the horses, we're also seeing the nature of these riders. They are beings prepared for war that are under the command of the angel of the Lord. And they are sent to patrol the whole earth. More importantly, sent to patrol the four winds. That is the north, the south, the east, and the west. So what Zechariah is revealing to us is they're not just sent out. They're sent out across the entire planet from every direction. From the north, the south, the east, and the west. And they go out to do the bidding of the Lord. And Jesus says something specific here. Not that they're just supervising or spying out what's happening. He says that they have brought the spirit of the Lord to rest. Meaning that they were agents of judgment in the north country. 
So he sent the, the chariots out to the north. They brought what was in turmoil to rest and are coming back to bring the report to the Lord. God uses them to bring calamity upon nations or unrighteous people to cleanse the land of wickedness. So when the spirit of the Lord is not at rest, the Bible tells us he's in grief. And in Isaiah 63.10, this is God speaking through the prophet of Isaiah to the nation of Israel, about the nation of Israel. It says, they rebelled against him, meaning God, and grieved. Somebody say grieved. They grieved his Holy Spirit. So by the nature of their sinfulness, their rebellion against God, they brought grief upon the Holy Spirit. So what did God do? He became their enemy and fought against them. So when we're looking at Zechariah's vision, these horsemen and the riders that are going out, that are bringing these nations to rest, the Spirit of God to rest, they're going out as agents of God's judgment to bring judgment against these nations so that what was wrong could be made right again. This is the importance also for the children of God not to grieve the Holy Spirit in your own life. Ephesians chapter 4, 29 through 31, Paul says to the church of Ephesus, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up and fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve, somebody say grieve. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. What's Paul saying? He's saying if you don't check your heart, you can go from being a friend of God to an enemy of God. God resists the proud, but he brings grace to the humble. If we don't forgive others the way God through Christ has forgiven us, the Father, Jesus said, will not forgive us either. So the goal for the Christian life, we will never be perfect. None of us are sinless. But the goal is to walk with a pure heart before the Lord so that we don't grieve His Spirit but are used powerfully by His Holy Spirit. And often the words we say reveal our hearts. What Paul says, he says, don't live like the world, don't behave like the world, don't react like the world, because the world is at war with God. And those who rebel against God grieve his spirit. So the point is this, that the riders on these colored horses, they're not metaphors, they're angelic beings. They're supernatural beings that do the bidding of God. And in this vision that John is seeing in Revelation chapter 6, authority is being given to them to cause things in the natural world through the power given to them in the spiritual world. And this is something that believers of Christ in our modern day need to get straight in their head. We live in a world that is not just physical, but it's also spiritual. Our schools, our education system... Our government would have us to believe that this life, this world is all there is. But there is a world beyond this world. And what happens in the spiritual often affects and does affect what happens in the natural. Many of the struggles we have in life are not just physical struggles, they're spiritual struggles. And until you take care of the spiritual problem, you'll not correct the physical problem. And so we know these are spiritual beings that have authority to bring 
their power into manifestation in the world. So no, the, white, the rider on the white horse is not the Antichrist. He's an angelic being. And some of you, you've grown up and you've had a lot of end-time teaching. And you might say, well, how do we know he, this just isn't representative of the Antichrist like other people say? Just as Jesus was pictured as a lamb and he's not a lamb, maybe this rider on the white horse really does represent something else. Well, for one, we have the context in Zechariah's vision of when these horsemen and the riders were first introduced in Scripture. But secondly, a very uh, popular event in the Old Testament happened when Elijah the prophet was about to be translated or ascended into heaven. There are only two men in the Old Testament that went to heaven without dying. That was Enoch and Elijah. And in the story of Elijah, he and his protege Elisha, they're walking along. And Elisha knows Elijah's time is very short. God's getting ready to take him. And Elisha says, hey, like, I, I'm not going to leave your side. I, I'm not going to depart from you. I'm going to stay here. And he's like, and when you go, can you ask God to give me a double portion of the anointing and favor that's on your life? And Elijah said, well, that's a tall, that's a tall order. That's a tall ask. But I tell you what, if you see me go, if you see God take me, then know that you have received what you asked for. And when God took him, he took him and his mantle remained. And Elisha put on his mantle and began to walk in the power and authority of Elijah. But in this moment, when, when they're walking along in 2 Kings 2.11, as they're walking, it says, And as they still went on and talked, behold, what? The chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them, and Elijah went up by whirlwind into heaven. So the two of them saw the chariots. They saw the horses. These are not figments of the imagination or metaphors. These are legitimate spiritual beings under the command and authority of God Almighty. And look, the, they saw the chariots, but what took Elijah? It was the whirlwind. So they manifested in physical reality. They had a spiritual presence, but it was a natural circumstance that they encountered and they witnessed because the spiritual has an impact and effect on the natural. And so when we're looking at the writers, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, what we're seeing, number one, is that these are legitimate spiritual beings, and two, they have a legitimate effect on the earth. And the question is, is that when does this happen? When are these seals broken open? Because as we saw last, last time we were in the study, that this event that John is seeing takes place right after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When he ascends in the cloud of power, is presented before God, is right at the resurrection. So when do these seals begin to be broken open? And I think scripture makes it pretty clear when they are opened. And we're going to begin to see this. So number one, we have the horses and the riders. Number two, we have what the Bible calls the birth pains. And the impact of these riders in the world mirror the birth pains Jesus talks about as he is unpacking to his disciples what's going to be like, the world is going to be like when the end of the world is coming. When his return is coming close and the time of the end is coming near. They asked him that question. And uh, we're going to read these two passages of scripture, uh, Matthew 24 and Luke 21. And I want to read them both to you because they parallel each other. And some of them have information the other one does not have. But when you put it together, you can see the big picture and see how it correlates to the four horsemen of the apocalypse. 
And so here beginning in Matthew 24, this is the disciples asking Jesus, what is the world going to be like when you return? And here's what he says, beginning in verse 3. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? So what are the signs? What do we look for when you're about to return? Here's what Jesus said. See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not alarmed. For this must take place, but the end is not yet. That's important to remember. You're going to see this stuff, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And all these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Somebody say birth pains. So here's what Jesus is saying. It's like you're going to see a bunch of stuff, but don't get freaked out. The end isn't yet. It's just the beginning of the end. It's the beginning of the birth pains. Verse 9, he says, Then they'll deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you'll be hated by all nations for my namesake. And many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased... The love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is in the housetop not go down and take what is in his house. Let the one who is in the field not turn back and take his cloak. And alas, for women and those who are pregnant and those nursing infants in those days. Pray that your flight be not in winter nor on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such has not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, and never will be again. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. And then if anyone says to you, look, here's Christ, or there he is, don't believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the very elect. See, I have told you this beforehand. If they say to you, look, he's in the wilderness, don't go out. And if they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, don't believe it. For as lightning comes from the east and shines as far from the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Interesting note this week. There are rabbis in Israel right now saying that they know who the Messiah is. They know he's already here, and he's just not been revealed yet as they're getting ready to like, move on trying to build the third temple. Jesus says, you'll know when I'm coming because I'm what? I am coming on the clouds with great power and authority. So whoever this guy is, it's not Jesus. They're saying that God's always had his Messiah ready at any time. No, actually, the devil's already had his Antichrist prepared at any time. But there's only one Messiah, and that's Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse 29, Jesus says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with great power and glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they'll gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. That's the description in Matthew 24. Now we're going to read the parallel in Luke 21, beginning in verse 10. 
Again, then he said to them, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be great earthquakes in various places, famines and pestilences. There'll be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. And you'll be brought before kings and governors for my namesake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You'll be delivered up even by your parents and brothers and relatives and friends. Some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my namesake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance you will gain your lives." But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then you'll know its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are inside the city depart. Let not those who are out in the country enter it. For these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. For there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword, be led captive among all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And then there will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars, and on the earth will distress the nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. So Jesus is unpacking the world, and as we can see from what Jesus is saying, it's going to be very difficult times. But he says, when you see this begin, don't worry, it's not the end. It's not yet. And so the coming of Christ is going to be preceded by what are called the birth pains. And we have a chart to show you comparing the seals, seals one through four, and the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and what is unleashed in the world when these seals are open, really one through six. And we can see how in Matthew 24, in seals um, chapter four and five, or in Matthew 24, verses four and five, the antichrist and false prophets are released. We can see this in the first seal with the rider of the white horse, as some project that to be a demonstration of the Antichrist. Matthew 24, 6, and 7, we see wars. The second seal, the rider has a sword for war. We can see famine, martyrdom, the results of the tribulation, the great tribulation saints. And then uh, there in the sixth seal, there are celestial disturbances or signs in the heavens. So there's a strong comparison between what Jesus is talking about and the impact of the writers of the, the horsemen of the apocalypse. And then I'll just uh, recap them again here for you. In seal number one, the white rider, he's given the power of war and battle campaigns. Jesus in his teaching said nation will rise against nation. The kingdom will rise against kingdom. There are going to be wars and rumors of wars. Seal number two, the red rider, he's given a sword to take peace from the world. Now again, when it says nation will rise against nation, what's the difference between a nation and a kingdom? Jesus said, you know, kingdom will rise against kingdom and nation will rise against nation. What's the difference? The kingdom is the ruling authority, but that word nation can also be translated as ethnicity. 
So not only are kingdoms, countries going to fight against each other, but now the world will be splintered into tribes and factions that are going to rise against each other. In the last decade, have you seen more division and strife against people groups than you have in the last 10 years? In the last election cycle, have you seen more strife in the world than you have in the last four years? With different groups rising against other groups, faction against faction. Seal 3 is a black horse with scales in his hand. This is economic turmoil. In Luke 21, 9, Jesus said there will be wars and tumults. The word tumult can also be translated as commotion, instability, a state of disorder, disturbance, or confusion. What does economic disaster do in a nation other than create tumultuous circumstances? Look at all the nations where their, their economy crumbles and the rioting and the looting and the protesting and the, and the confusion that, that transpires in the world. Seal number four is the rider on the pale horse. The death in Hades follows him. He has the power to kill with sword, famine, pestilence, and beasts. Luke 21, 11, Jesus said there would be great earthquakes in various places, famines, and pestilences, as well as signs and terrors and great signs from the heavens. The four horsemen of the apocalypse, these angelic beings, are given authority to break open and release this confusion into the world. These riders and the effect impact the nations. It also mirrors God's typical methodology for judgment. In Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 21, Again, God's speaking to the prophet as he's getting ready to bring judgment against Israel. In verse 21, it says, Thus says the Lord, how much more when I send upon Jerusalem my four disastrous acts of judgment, sword, famine, beasts, and pestilence, to cut off from it man and beast. And I, I love this. It says, he says wild beasts. The wild beasts could be the difference between a carnivore and an herbivore. But it can also be spiritual realities, as these wild beasts represent creatures of violence. So not only carnivores attacking people versus a herbivore, but you could also have an increase in demonic activity and spiritual darkness. So when God judges a nation or he sends judgment to the world, these are the four things that are often associated with those acts of judgment. And just as Jesus described... They follow the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and they represent the birth pains. Now, this word birth pain is the term for early labor. Now, I'm not a professional or an expert on labor because I'm a man. But my wife has had four kids, and she's informed me about how these things went. And I got to observe her go through four specific labors, so I have an idea. But when we were uh, pregnant with our first daughter, Jocelyn, um, my wife was gung-ho on not having any drugs during delivery. She was like, I'm strong enough. I can do this. I don't want any of that stuff. I don't want my baby born drunk. I just don't want, you know, any of that stuff that comes with those drugs that they give the kids when they're uh, early born. And so when, uh, when she began to go through um, labor, her water broke. We get to the, the hospital, and she's there in the room, and she's having contractions. And she's like, man, this, this is what it's like. It's a piece of cake. 
Like, like it was like easy going. They, you know, there's, you know, she was kind of relaxed. Everything was going well. But the problem was is her water had already broken, and the doctors were concerned that she wasn't progressing fast enough and they could introduce infection. So they're, they're like, we want to give you Pitocin. That's the uh, inducement drug to speed things along. And so we're like, okay, yeah, you know, like, yeah, she's, she's doing good. Like, yeah, let's take doctor's orders. Let's do that. So they hook her up to the machine, and they turn that nastiness on. And all of a sudden, we went from smiles and giggles to hunching over and, and pain, and, and, and it just got severe. And it wasn't long in that state, as she is cramping and in just pain, that we start considering and calling for the epidural. And she got the epidural, and... All that pain went away, and she was smiling and giggling again. So, you know, it, it was a good thing, and Jocelyn was born, and everything was, was a-okay. But the description of birth pains is such that when they begin, it's not so bad. The contractions are few and far between, but they're happening. The closer you get to active labor, pushing time, they get stronger, harder, and more severe. So when Jesus is saying, when these signs, you see these signs, he's saying the end is not yet. Why? Because it's just early labor. But there is a time coming where there's going to be a switch, and it's going to be fast, it's going to be hard, and it's going to be intense. In uh, the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, here's what he says about the end times. Is he's had many uh, uh, opportunities to reveal the mystery of what the end is going to be like. He says, while people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. That phrase labor pains can also be translated as travail or it can be translated as that, that intolerable anguish. So again, when you're in that active labor state, and ladies, you can throw out an amen. When you know it's getting ready, it's, it's severe. It's tough. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying when they say there's peace and security, then boom, active labor is going to happen. The travail and anguish is going to kick in, and destruction is going to come, and they're not going to escape. And so what, what I think is interesting here is it says there is peace and security. If you think about our world today, if you think about the southern border and how we have millions and millions of immigrants crossing the border. There are 30 cities, uh, I think in Texas alone, maybe other states, that have declared states of national emergency because they can't handle the influx of the immigration that's happening. What do you see on mainstream media? All is good. Nothing to see here. We have peace and security. It's spun to reflect a different story than the actual situation happening. Paul's not saying that it will be a time of peace and security. He's saying they will say peace and security. They're going to be in denial of what's actually happening as these events are coming upon the earth and as they are rising up and coming in more and more uh, frequency and in greater strength. As we get closer to the Lord's return, nation has always been against nation. Kingdom has always been against kingdom. There's been pestilences, earthquakes, and the like. But it's no secret that in recent years, there's been a sharp increase of lawlessness. Think about all the protesting 
the burning down of cities just because your election didn't go the way you wanted. We have safe spaces for, for people in college because they can't handle opposing opinions. There's a mental illness that has been released in the world, and it's not just here in America, it's worldwide. So along with these seals came a promise, Jesus said, that many of us would be persecuted, even betrayed by family and friends, even by parents to the point of death. Since when did we ever have a moment in our history where neighbors were turning on neighbor? But that's what was happening during COVID. Right, right. You, you're not getting the shot. I'm going to report you to the authorities. You know, there, there's been this shift in the way we even view the world while we're, we're acting along the world. These these worldwide events are changing the environment and the temperature in the nations and in the world. In the end time, people are going to turn on each other, even in their own homes. The president of the United States here recently made a speech, and in the back of the staging were a couple of Marines. And in this speech, he said in front of these servicemen that MAGA Republicans, again, this isn't an endorsement of either one, but he said MAGA Republicans are the single most uh, threat to the nation. In other words, if you support Donald Trump and you are for Donald Trump, you are the greatest threat to national security in our nation. And he said it in front of the military, which was a... It was a show of force. This is very similar, according to Smithsonian Magazine, when Adolf Hitler had provided clues to his ambition to commit mass genocide as early as 1922. He told journalist Josef Hell, once I really am in power, my first and foremost task will be the annihilation of the Jews. No one thought he was serious until he got into power. Six million Jews later, I think he was serious. The minute a leader points to a people group and says they're the problem, genocide is imminent. It's just the way it is. Look at history. Mao saying tongue. Look at any genocidal maniac. Once you point to a people group, genocide is on the horizon. And the MAGA Republicans aren't really the problem. It's conservative Christians that are the problem. It's people that hold to a biblical standard and a biblical worldview. It's why there's legislation that is trying to be passed that if you oppose certain things in our nation, that they can take your children from you because you don't agree from a religious standpoint in what they want to do. Look at what's happening with the abortion laws and the way that they are trying to criminalize. And they actually went after a man who uh, he and his son were praying outside of an abortion clinic, and some people came up to, to hassle him, and he's now arrested because they're claiming a law that says you can't obstruct someone's entryway into an abortion clinic. And the FBI arrested him versus the people that were hassling him. There's becoming a weaponization of our American government. Now, I'm not saying Biden is Hitler, but the power behind the culture is the same power behind Hitler. The enemy of God is the same enemy since the beginning. The spiritual ruler in America is focused on what is in his way, and that is the people of God. 
So when the fifth seal is opened, after the horsemen have begun riding, when the fifth seal is opened, John sees in Revelation chapter 6, beginning in verse 9, he says, I saw under the altar of souls those who had been slain for the word of God and the witness they had borne. They were killed because of God's word, standing on God's word, and for testifying of the truth of God's word. If you look at what's happening in our world, it's heading to that. It's like this already in many countries, all over the world. But when you look at the West, that's been the dominant culture, it's beginning to happen in Western countries. You know, in Canada, they will arrest you from holding to traditional, traditional values. There's a pastor, I think, is still in jail because he was preaching out of the Bible that homosexuality was a sin. And so it's coming. The altar of souls is open. Verse 10, it says, They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? They're crying out, God, this was unjust. What happened to us? How long are you going to wait before you avenge our blood? Verse 11 says, They were each given a white robe and told to rest a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who would be killed as they themselves had been. God tells the, the souls under the altar, I'm not going to avenge you yet. Because there is a fixed number of those who will die for their faith. And until that moment, until everyone has given their life for Christ that has been appointed before time, then I'm going to move. So as the birth pains begin to increase, there is going to be an increase in martyrdom for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul stated in 1 Thessalonians 5 that people will be declaring everything is peaceful and secure, even with all the chaos around them. But we know that's not the case. It's just a deception. Seal 6 is opened. There's a revelation of God's judgment, not just on the earth, but on the powers of heaven. Jesus mentions the powers of heaven will be shaken in the birth pains. And when the six seals open, Revelation chapter 6, beginning in verse 12, it says, when he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth. The moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit and shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that's being rolled up and every mountain and island was moved from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who's seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of the wrath has come. Who can stand? What John is pointing to in seal 6, he's saying, when the sixth seal is open, the transition time is coming between the early pains and the active labor. We're getting ready to have this transition time, and some specific things happen. The powers of heaven are shaken, and this comes right out of Isaiah 34, verses 4 and 5, that says, All of the hosts of heaven shall rot away, and the skies will roll up like a scroll. All their hosts shall fall as leaves fall from the vine, as leaves falling from the fig tree. Somebody say the fig tree. Jesus talked about the fig tree. He says, For my sword is drunk, its fill in the heavens. Behold, it descends for judgment upon Edom, upon the people I've devoted for destruction. What's Isaiah saying? He's saying that God is going to release judgment into the heavens, to the spiritual realm. 
And these heavenly hosts, they're going to fall. And after I judge them, I'm going to turn and I'm going to bring judgment upon the earth. And what's being revealed here is the supernatural rebels, the fallen realm, the, the devil and his angels, the prince of the power of the air, as he's referred to in scripture, in other ancient prophetic writings, um, the spiritual beings are also referred to as the stars or mountains and islands. What, what Isaiah is saying here and what John is saying here is that when the sixth seal is open, God's going to kick some butt in the heavenly realm. He's going to open a can, and the enemy's going to fall. And they're going to fall like leaves that fall from the vine. That word fall means to regard or treat as foolish. Right now, the enemy, he's got everybody convinced that he's some big bad dude to be feared, or that somehow he can give you what you want if you would just rebel against God. You don't need God in your life. Just live life to the fullest by engaging in the world, following the temptations of the world, and setting the enemy up as God in your life. But what's being revealed here is that when this seal is open, the fallen realm, they have another thing coming. They're going to fall. They're going to be cast out of the spiritual world, and they're going to come literally into the natural world. They're going to be cast out of their place in the heavenlies. They're going to manifest in the spiritual world. No longer are they going to be able to fool people by hiding in darkness. They're going to be exposed for who they are. And John and Isaiah both refer to this happening like figs or a fig tree. A fig tree is a deciduous tree that's very temperamental. I don't know if we have any arborists in here. I'm not a green thumb, but I did some research, and that's how I know this information. But a fig tree is very temperamental. If you want to change its environment, you have to go very slow. You have to get accustomed to its new environment or else drastic things can happen. And so if you change its environment quickly out of protest, it will protest the change by dropping its leaves and also dropping its figs. So when Jesus says when you see these, the fig tree bloom, you know summer is coming. When you see the blooming of the fig tree, you know things have begun. It's heading us towards this direction. But what Isaiah and John say is when you see the fig tree drop its leaves and drop its figs, you know that judgment is now coming. You know the shift is happening as the angelic hosts, the, those who have rebelled against God, are cast to the earth and no longer have their places of power and authority. It's in this moment that the Antichrist is revealed and the, the demonic realm empowers in their one last ditch effort to come against the people of God. As we await the final seal to be broken, which opens up the judgment. And this will continue, and then the judgments we'll see uh, in the next part of the study will ensue until Psalm 110, verse 1, is fulfilled, where God the Father says to Jesus, He says, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. What is going to happen in the book of Revelation is for one purpose and one alone to make the enemies of God in heaven and the enemies of God on the earth under the feet of Christ our Lord. God is going to use the tribulation to humble all of the enemies of Christ and send him victoriously to his throne when he comes on the powerful clouds of glory and sets up his kingdom from Jerusalem. And while all of this is going on, as, the, as we are here to see it, as we're here to experience what's happening, we have to remember what Peter said in 2 Peter 2.9, especially as it comes to the judgment God's going to pour out. It says, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials 
and they keep the righteous under punishment or the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. So when we see all these things, we don't need to get freaked out. We will be persecuted. The enemy is going to come after us just like he's doing right now. Just as he is persecuting believers all over the world, there are more martyrs happening now than in ancient times. God knows how to protect the righteous while keeping the unrighteous for punishment. 1 Thessalonians 5, 8-10 says, Since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having on the breastplate of faith and love for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord and Jesus Christ. What is the Bible telling us? It's telling us that God is going to enact a surgical strike against the wicked and against the powers of darkness. And we don't have to be afraid of his judgment because God has great aim. God doesn't miss. There will be no collateral damage to the people of God when God pours out his judgment. He is going to protect us while raining judgment on those who are in rebellion against him. And as we look at these signs and, we, and these seals, we can see how some of these seals have already been broken open. In 2 Thessalonians 2, 7 through 12, you see the, the four horsemen of the apocalypse bring lawlessness to the earth, and it will increase in time, increase in severity as we get closer to Christ's return. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. What's the mystery of lawlessness? It's the riders of the horse. Horsemen. It says, only he who now restrains it will do so until he's out of the way. What's restraining the full force of, of their work is the Lord Jesus himself. As he is opening the seals one at a time, this lawlessness one will, uh, will be revealed. The Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth to bring nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. And then with all wicked deception for those who are perishing. Because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. When God opens the seals, they are completely open and the powers of heaven are shaken. The enemy is going to bring to power this antichrist figure. And Jesus is going to come against them with the fullness of his wrath. Therefore God sends them a strong delusion. So they may believe what is false in order that they may all be condemned. That's why they say there's peace and safety when there's not. So what is the mystery of lawlessness? Again, it's the breaking of the seals. And the restraining force is the restraining of the effectiveness of the horses and the riders. Ultimately, the chaos in the world. And when God removes the restraining force, it's going to open the door for the full revelation of the enemy. But we don't lose heart. No matter how severe these events may be, what we may face, because there is a fixed number, there's an appointed time, and the Lord wins. And so the question that I have, or the questions we have today is, what do we do with this information? Why did God tell us what's going to happen in the future? How do we apply this to our lives? Well, the first thing we say is, number one, it's time to wake up. Paul said, we're of the day, we're of the light, be sober, don't be drunk with the world and consumed with the world. We're of the day, we're not of the night, let's not be obsessed and drunk with the world, but be armored up, standing up to the enemy as frontline ambassadors of the gospel of Jesus Christ.
Number two, it's time to actually share the gospel using words. St. Francis of Assisi is a famous Catholic priest or Franciscan monk who said, share the gospel at all times and if you must, use words. And I would reverse that. If you're not sharing the gospel with words, you're not sharing the gospel. If you're not telling people that their sin has separated them from God, there's a judgment coming, but Jesus Christ gave his life, shed his blood, so you could be forgiven, saved, and redeemed. You're not sharing the gospel. And people are going to hell, and judgment is coming, and we're letting them go. If you're not using words, you're not sharing the gospel. If we're going to wake up, it's to wake up to the mission and the call that we have. How can we give our lives for the word of God and our testimony if we're not even speaking of Christ in our lives? It's time to wake up. It's time to share the gospel. And number three comes out of Hebrews 10, 23. It says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as the ha is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. There are Christians today that don't believe you need to go to church to be a Christian. And I would say you don't need to go to church to go to heaven, but you need to go to church to live out the Christian life. And what the Word of God tells us is when you see these things, when you see the signs, when you know the time is close, when you see the lawlessness at work and increasing, when you see what's happening, it's not time to forsake the gathering of the church and believers. It's time to get together with the church. It's time to encourage one another, to make time for it, to prioritize it, to say no to some things you want to do and do some things you need to do. To start saying no to things in the world that are enticing and, and seem like they're fun and cool and exciting. And get together with the people who can build you up to strengthen your faith. To use the gifts of the Spirit to build up your most holy faith so you can stand in the day of battle and in the day of evil. Why are so many Christians anemic in their everyday life? It's because they forsake the Word of God. They forsake the assembling of themselves. They don't invest in their relationships with one another. And they only come to church out of obligation, not because they want to, but because they think they have to. But something is coming on the earth. And if we don't open our eyes and see it and see that we're closer now today than we've ever been in all of history, I don't know what's going to wake us up. We have to wait till a gun is at our head and we have to make a choice before we see. As we see the day approaching, we need to gather together. We need to bond together. Wake up. Be sober. Be active in your faith. Don't neglect meeting with your faith family. You need this. You need it. You need to be encouraged. I need to be encouraged. You need to encourage me, and I need to encourage you. We need to build each other up. Pray for each other. Walk hand in hand with each other. Luke 21, 19, Jesus said, for those being persecuted, he said, by your endurance, you will gain your lives. Endurance means how long you can hold on before giving up. He's saying, 
Those who hold fast to the end, those are the ones who are going to be saved by your endurance, by your no-quit attitude, by your, I'm going to give it all to Christ no matter the cost, no matter what. That's what's going to bring salvation to your household. If we're not binding together, building each other up, meeting together, we may not have the endurance we need to stand strong in the last day. The call of Jesus and the mission we have as a church is the gospel. And if we aren't pursuing the gathering, prioritizing the gathering, being bold in our faith now, how are we going to do it? When this gets real. This past week, just being honest, I haven't felt real close to God. Newsflash happens to pastors too. Sometimes life's just hard. And I'm sick and tired of the devil winning victories in my life. And this past week, we had to have some repair work done to the new printer that we have. We, we have a loaner right now as we wait for the one that we're purchasing to come in. But I had to have a technician come in and uh, do some work. And he came in. He was a younger guy. And he had been to the house before. And he's working in my, my office to do some stuff on the printer. And I'm folding laundry in my, my bedroom. And I just start praying. I was like, God, I really just want to do something for you today. I just want to see you work and move. And I don't know what's going on in this kid's life, but God, if you give me a word, if you give me something, I want to encourage him. I want to make Jesus famous. I want to do something. And so right when I get done praying, I start hearing in my head, he's got a younger brother. He's got special needs. He feels an obligation to, uh, to take care of him. And, and I'm like, okay, I get this kind of sense. And so I, I'm like, I'm going to go talk to him and try to make this as less awkward as possible. Sometimes when you do what God asks you to do, it can be kind of weird, you know, for people. And, uh, and so I, I started talking to him, and I said, hey, you know, we're just shooting the breeze. And I said, hey, you got any, you got any brothers or sisters, family? He's like, yeah, yeah. So you, you got a younger brother? He's like, nope. I was like, well, that was wrong. Must not have been God. And so as I, we're talking, I'm just in my mind. I was like, okay, God, that, that, that wasn't right. So that was probably me. What, what were you saying? What, what are you trying to come across? And I just just get this sense about him and then in in my heart I heard like he had leg pain and started sudden maybe it's his knee maybe it's something's going on but he looks pretty healthy and and so I, I just asked him hey man just out of chance do you have any issues with your left leg and he's like yeah I do it's like I broke my hip when I was younger it's like and it's like that's really weird because when I broke my hip I was on crutches like you couldn't tell what was wrong with me I was just on crutches some guy randomly pulled over in his car rolled down his window and said, hey, did you break your hip? And he's like, yeah, how'd you know? He's like, oh, I just felt like I needed to, I just felt like I needed to stop and ask. And he's like, that, you're the second person to ask me about my leg or my hip. And so I, I began to, like, talk to him about, well, man, God is real, and, and he speaks. And I just feel like he has you here for a reason. And, and as I'm talking to him, I just, I just, brought back to that initial impression, it wasn't that he had a special needs brother, but he has this weight on his life, this responsibility for his family. And that's really why he's working, because he's given up on a dream. And I, and I said, you know, did you ever go to college? Did you ever, 
you know, get a degree or do you always want to do stuff in computers? He's like, you know, you know what? Actually, I have a degree in, in uh, music engineering. And I play the piano and drums and I do all this stuff. And I'm like, so are you just working this job because you feel a sense of responsibility to take care of your family and, and that's, you've given up your dreams so you could financially help them? He's like, yeah, how'd you know all that? I was like, because God is real. He's real. I looked at him dead in his eye and said, I need you to know this. He's real. And he really loves you. And, and I asked him, when did you give your life to Christ? And he's like, well, I was baptized when I was a kid. I was like, do you remember why you are baptized? And he said, no, I don't. He's like, do you think you just went through that because of everyone else was doing it? He's like, yeah, kind of. I was like, well, you know what the Bible says? It says everyone who has sinned is separated from God. And because of our sin, judgment is ultimately the result. But you know what Jesus did? He came and he paid all your fines. He shed his blood and his body was broken so that you didn't have to face that. And all you have to do is call on the name of the Lord and you can be saved. If you trust in his sacrifice and you accept him as your Lord and Savior, you can be saved right now. The Spirit of God will come into your heart and you'll be an altogether new person. And I tell you, every day with Jesus is better than any second without him. And I asked him, I was like, is that something you'd want to do? Have you ever made that decision to trust in Christ? And it's like, you know what? No, I never have. I was like, well, do you want to do it now? I was like, if you don't, that's fine. I don't want to pressure you either. You can walk right out of my house because I know this is real awkward. You're in this small room with me. We're talking about Jesus. I don't know you from Adam. And I was like, so if you want to go, man, I, I, no judgment here. And you can send somebody else the next time. I don't care. And it's like, no, I'd like to do that. Right there, I got to lead him to accept Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Now, any regular day in my mind is, don't be a weirdo. You don't always have to tell everybody about Jesus. Now's not the time. You don't know him yet. Maybe you should build a relationship. If I listen to any of those excuses... The man would have left my house lost. How many people do we let leave lost because we're afraid of the Word of God and the testimony of Christ as our Savior? God tells us what's coming because there's a day where all we will have is our faith to cling to. And right now we get to practice standing in the day of evil. Are you awake? Are you sharing the gospel? And are you committed to the church? Because that's what matters. Let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes in this moment. Lord God, thank you for your word and I thank you for the challenge. I thank you, God, that we can look at all of these futuristic things and we can get excited and worked up about signs that we can maybe point to and look at to kind of discover maybe when you're going to return because we love thinking about that. But God, I pray that right now we'd be so pricked in our hearts not to get so future focused. We miss the moment of right here and right now and the people that come across our path, those that are lost, that need Jesus. May we not feel too cool to share about Jesus. May we not be too serious that we are unwilling to speak 
God, may we now be bold in our faith. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, for a fresh fire, a fresh anointing, a fresh outpour of your spirit like in Acts 4 when they prayed for boldness. God, that you'd come upon this church, Vertical Life Church, in this city, in this day, in this time, on the families represented right here, God, that your spirit would pour out in the name of Jesus and fill us with such boldness, God, that as many as we can take to the kingdom of God with us, we would take, that we wouldn't be content with letting anyone in our path leave lost. God, that we would put you first and foremost, and we pursue after you. And I pray, God, that you would get our eyes off of our problems, get our eyes off of our circumstances, and get our eyes on the cross of Jesus Christ, on the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy awaiting him despised the cross, disregarded his shame, and is now seated at the right hand of God the Father. And God, we say, come quickly, Lord Jesus, and come right now and raise us up that the sleeper would arise and we would take our place in the kingdom. And God, I pray for every heavy heart right now. And I pray for everyone in this room, God, especially those that need a real encounter with the living God. I pray right now, Jesus, that your presence would come upon them, you'd fill them, and then you'd draw them. And as our prayer team comes forward, and we go into a time of response, that if there's anyone here that doesn't know Jesus as their Savior, they would come forward, and they would allow us the honor to pray with them to make that decision. God, if someone is pricked in their heart that they want to be a bolder witness, God, that they would come and through the obedience to your word that we, as we lay hands on them and pray, God, that there be an impartation of boldness. God, if there's a heavy burden, if there's something in our lives that's eating our lunch and we just can't seem to get our focus off of that to focus on the task at hand, God, I pray that they would come forward. That, God, we begin living out this life-saving, life-changing faith beginning today until we see kingdom come and your will done on earth as it is in heaven. And God, we give you praise and glory for every breakthrough, every stronghold that's torn down, every healing, every miracle, every encouragement as your church walks in the spirit, ministers to one another. Build us up, O holy God, in Jesus' name, amen. As Tony begins to lead us, if God is speaking to your heart, if you need to accept Christ as your Savior, I'd rather you leave here 100% sure you know that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, that your sins are forgiven, than leave here with even 1% of unsurety. If you know that you need to accept Christ, then when we stand to our feet, you come down, make your way to one of our prayer team members, and we'd be honored to pray with you. If you want more boldness in your life, if you want to take your faith more seriously, you want to quit caring about what other people think and being bound down by awkwardness and shyness and timidity, come forward and let us pray with you as the church is the church. Whatever God is speaking to your heart, you come and you respond. From all of us at Vertical Life Church, we want to say thank you for listening. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please consider making a tax-deductible donation to www.blchurch.tv forward slash give. Thank you.
Ricardo Asso.